Hey everyone, Dr. Pat and I would personally like to invite you to join us in our Grow My Baby program. This is week-by-week pregnancy and birth information developed from our experience of helping more than 4,000 women grow and birth their babies. All our links are on our website, growmybaby.com.au. If you're trying to get pregnant or you are pregnant and you feel a little bit overwhelmed by all you need to know, then this is the right podcast for you. Welcome to the show. I'm Bridget Maloney. And I'm obstetrician Dr. Patrick Maloney. And this is The Kick, your expert-led podcast that delivers the essentials of growing a baby. Make sure you head to our website, growmybaby.com.au, to get some awesome free tools like our Pregnancy Knowledge Checker to help you feel like you got this. Okay, welcome everybody to episode 27. Now today we're discussing miscarriage and pregnancy loss, so uh, I'd just like to put out a, a warning, a trigger warning for anybody who feels that uh, today's content may be triggering or upsetting for them, and suggest that um, if you think that that's you, that you make contact uh, with your supports and make sure you have someone close by to turn to if today's content is uh, likely to be very upsetting for you, so you can have that uh, support there. Yeah, because we do think that it's worth everybody listening to this, don't don't we? You know, um, miscarriage is incredibly common. Yeah, we're talking about first trimester miscarriage here, not not uh, not second trimester loss or term stillbirth. Yeah, um, and uh, first trimester miscarriage is thought to affect at least at least one in five pregnancies. Mm. So it seems to us that it's something that that, that it is worth while knowing about. Yeah. Um, in case it happens to you, or in case it happens to someone close to you so that you can give uh, better support. And the reason why we're doing it is because over the weekend we put up a post as on our stories sort of saying, um, what would we cover? What would you like to hear on our podcast next? Yeah. And, you know, overwhelmingly people said about miscarriage. Yeah, like uh, lots. Lots. And, you know, there is quite a lot out there about miscarriage. Um, I don't know whether you... Seek it out if you haven't had a miscarriage. Um, so this is preemptive. I think everybody should be listening to this because we're going to be covering off not only if you have a miscarriage, but if you know someone that has had a miscarriage and how you can support that person through that. Sure. And we put out a call for a personal experience. I know. I talk about being spontaneous. Sorry, people. This is, this is how we have to roll in our household, you know, um, Busy household, four boys, but also an obstetrician husband. You know, sometimes we don't have things planned that well. I don't know whether you've guessed that. Um, but what we decided on Sunday afternoon was, wouldn't it be great if we had women's voices in this podcast? So we asked people to go to um, www.speakpipe.com slash growmybaby um, just to record a, a five-minute story about your miscarriage. And um, it was very short notice, but we did get a magnificent story. So we're going to hear from Mai now. Hi, I'm Mai. I'm 32 and I live in regional Victoria. Last year, shortly after our one-year wedding anniversary, my husband and I decided that uh, we would start to try for a baby, which was very exciting. And by then, we had been together for nearly a decade. We'd our career is well and truly cemented, um, building a house. We're very excited being in our early 30s uh, and I went into planning over mode. 
I actually went and bought those ovulation strips off Amazon and I also bought the digital ones from Chemist Warehouse and I tracked my cycle and uh, after four months I fell pregnant and I knew um, very, very early on um, the pink line came up. I didn't feel any symptoms other than my boobs were very sore. Um, I didn't feel any symptoms and I felt really good. And I was so happy and excited. It was like this little secret between my husband and I. It was so exciting. We were so happy. And as soon as that little line came up, even though, you know, it was just a little pink line, I I feel like the next 18 years of my life was mapped out. And I was so happy to be mum, finally. Uh, unfortunately, shortly after, um, one day when I was at work, it was a Friday actually, I started to feel crampy and just generally really unwell and I felt really emotional and I went to the bathroom to check and I saw a bit of pink in my underwear and when, when I wiped and I started to panic because straight away I thought this must be you know, either just normal discharge, you know, don't think the worse. And confusingly overnight I stopped bleeding um, until the next evening, afternoon, early evening. I started to bleed very heavily and I, I had like a horrible headache. I was nauseous. I even had a fever um, and I started passing clots and it was very distressing. And my husband didn't know what was going on. Um, I was just in a lot of pain and emotional and upset. Uh, the bleeding continued over the weekend and when it came to Monday, I had bled so much and I was so dizzy. I couldn't even get myself out of bed to go to work. I was thinking I couldn't work. Uh, so I called in sick and I got myself to the emergency room. My husband had had to go away for work upsettingly and at the emergency room they'd confirmed that I'd lost our baby um, and they explained that I could I could let my body carry it out naturally because it looked like it was being very efficient um, of doing that and um, the DNC was never explained to me as an option and if I'd known I would probably wouldn't have taken it um, but, but, yes, my body was very efficient and was removing a lot of, um, removing everything. And it was extremely upsetting. Um, I had a friend with me, he's like a mother figure, and she had gone through a miscarriage before. So that was good. And I felt really numb at, at, in the emergency. And... They, they told me to go home and get some rest and that was the main advice and I went to see my GP the next day to see if there was anything I could do to help me feel better because I just felt so tired and dizzy and he told me to rest and I had read that it can take you months to get your period again and ovulate and conceive and I didn't want to accept that and I asked my doctor if there was anything I could do and he said I could try acupuncture so I did and I took all the smelly herbs and the acupuncture and a month later I was pregnant again and I feel so blessed I'm, I'm now 10 weeks 
pregnant again with my rainbow baby and even though I feel so blessed and grateful, I will never forget the baby we lost because it will always be our baby. Well, thank you, Mai, for sharing your story and being so brave to share it with um, all of our podcast listeners. And I think that, um, firstly, we want to say how sorry we are that that happened to you, but also um, thank you for sharing it because it beautifully illustrates so many of the, the of, of the aspects of miscarriage that we wanted to cover in today's mm. podcast. Yeah, it really did. So, you know, she talked a little bit about um, it was early, wasn't it? It was, it was. I would assume probably like a six week miscarriage. I got that. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and and that's when that's when most of these um, first trimester miscarriages would come to light in the setting of um, you know unexpected uh, bleeding. Yeah. So, are there any other symptoms around what someone would feel if they're starting to miscarry? So usually, um, if someone come a woman comes to see me in the setting of miscarriage, she'll have noticed bleeding, yeah, and cramping, and sometimes uh, you know pelvic pain. And um, my mentioned fever. She yeah, that was a little unusual. Yeah. So a fever would be a, would be an unusual thing to experience. Yeah. Um, and remember, there's a, there's a bit of a difference between the patient feeling hot mm. or them actually being hot. Yes. Um, but um, if someone was in the process of miscarriage and had a, a proven fever from having their temperature taken, that would be of more concern. Mm. That would suggest a potential infection. Right. Um, but um, not everybody who feels hot. Actually, will have an elevated a temperature, a genuine fever. Yeah, yeah, right. So, um, so, so that's the group that are, that that come in with bleeding and pain, often to a hospital emergency department. Mm. There's a way of happening after hours. Yeah, um, and uh, or they've started during the morning and they've gone. Oh well, I'll just monitor it. I'll see what happens. I'll see what happens. Yeah. And by the end of the day, they think, Oh no, actually, this is it's, serious. It's worse. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then and then of course there's the group um, who miscarry, but they don't know they've miscarried, mm. um, and that's uh, and and that's another very sad situation where people uh, rock along for their first pregnancy scan. Uh, uh, only to find that that there's some uh, evidence of miscarriage, and that would be quite late because um, what happens in our practice is people come in at ten weeks for their first pregnancy visit, isn't it? Well, it is, but a good number have already had a scan referred from the GP. Oh, yeah. Um, just just for other reasons, like to confirm um, that uh, there's an ongoing um, pregnancy if the woman's feeling anxious about that, mm. or to exclude twins. Um, or if there's confusion about the dates, yeah, um, one can't be 100% clear about when the last period happened. So a good number of people have already had an early pregnancy scan somewhere around the six to eight week mark. Yeah. Uh, and but yeah, you know, several times a year I'll see someone come in as late as ten weeks for their first routine visit. And um, and tragically, we'll find a you know an empty an empty pregnancy sack on on scan or a um, or a sack with a, a fetus but no heartbeat. Oh dear. So, with bleeding, um, I know that we did cover this in an earlier episode in episode six. Um, I think that episode's called "Early Bleeding in Pregnancy." Mm-hmm. But and we talked about does every bleed mean that there's a miscarriage? Well, absolutely, absolutely not. So, um, so lots of bleeding can happen for benign reasons um, in early pregnancy, and we did cover it in that other episode. Uh, but um, uh, you know, of all the people who present to the hospital emergency department with with 
bleeding in early pregnancy, most will have a reassuring scan. Yeah. Most, yeah. yeah. So tell me about, well, what are the options? Is it only the emergency department that that woman can go to? Well, well, no, but I'm sure people present to their GPs. Some people who I already know from previous pregnancies will just ring me. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, there are people, I've got my own ultrasound machine, so there are people who are, who I can just see yeah. as an extra patient that day. Um, but um, typically um, it, it would be uh, someone going to their local doctor or after hours or in the setting of heavier bleeding or worse pain, mm. then they might might go to a, a hospital emergency department. And I know it's hard because, you know, I haven't had a miscarriage and you're obviously a man, um, but what is a woman feeling? What's the pain like? Well, what, the, what do they tell you it's like? Well, the physical pain can yeah. be can be somewhere between mild or nothing right up to right up to dreadful. Right. But the emotional pain is just awful. There's a, a, a great, um, great deal of anxiety mm. and you won't, sort of settle that anxiety for people with bleeding in early pregnancy until they get their scan. Yeah. It's as simple as that. They want to they want to see that that heartbeat. Yeah. Um and you know who wouldn't, you know? So um I think that delaying in that in that first trimester situation is all, always unfortunate, mm-hmm. you know, if if there's delays because people will not relax until they know what's going on. Um and you know most of the small bleeds are not are not uh, dangerous, and and the pregnancy is alive and well. Mm. And then for the people who who have miscarried, well, we want to move on to to discuss you know uh, next appropriate steps. next steps. Mm. Yeah. So it's is it only by ultrasound that a miscarriage can be diagnosed? I know we talk a little bit about the HCG blood tests. Uh, yeah. So ultrasound is, is is the basis of the diagnosis pretty much every time. Um, in the medical textbooks, there's a lot of discussion about the various types of miscarriages and so forth, but most of that relates to the pre-ultrasound era when they really didn't know what was going on. Yeah. Um, so, so, um, if you come to a, um, a hospital emergency department, for example, with, with, uh, bleeding in early pregnancy, then an ultrasound will give the diagnosis most of the time. Mm. And, um, there, there are, um, some grey areas. And in the grey areas, um, a quantitative beta HCG, that's not a, just a yes-no pregnancy test, but the, the number, yeah, 100, yeah. 100,000, uh, that can be used to sort out grey area cases. Mm. And then there's sometimes when it's still not sorted out, despite an ultrasound and a quantitative hormone level, and those people need to come and have another scan next week. And is, why isn't it sorted out? Well, you can just be in a grey area. For example, if you're if you've got bleeding at five weeks, and the ultrasound shows a um, shows a an empty sac and an empty uh, uterus, mm. well, you might expect an empty uterus at five weeks. So, yeah. so um, the ultrasound can't call it one way or the other. Mm. And then you'll take a quantitative uh, hormone level, and it might be five hundred, and that doesn't call it one way or the other because mm. five hundred would be a reasonable level. So in order to sort out whether it's a miscarriage, an ongoing pregnancy or even an ectopic, you have to scan again mm. or do more blood tests. Now, ectopic we are going to cover in its own episode. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, that that's coming up probably soon. Um, but I just wanted to say about the beta, beta HCG, don't go onto the forums. <laughs> do, oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Don't ask in, in a Facebook group. 
you know, I've got a beta HCG of X. What does that mean? It, that will really mess with your calm. Yeah, there's a there's a very widespread misunderstanding about beta HCG levels, um, how how um, useful they are um, in in predicting outcomes, mm. and uh, they're really only that useful in a in a few small grey area situations where we don't know whether pregnancy is ongoing or not, um, and they're useful in the treatment of ectopics. Um, but um, there's a wide normal range. Yeah. So if you're six weeks, it might be normal to be a thousand or six thousand. So so if your levels three thousand, is that better than two? No. No. It's just they're they're both in the normal range. Yes, that will mess with your brain. Yeah. 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 We might use it to track so that if we do it two days later and it's gone backwards, mm. well, that's a failing. Pre- you know, that's yes. a, that's a non-progressive pregnancy. But uh, but um uh, but but. Uh, the first level by itself it yeah. might, might might have looked normal. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Mm-hmm. And yours will not be the same as your friends. No, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So this is the big question, Patty. Why do miscarriages happen? Yeah, well, this is, um, you know, this is the, the big question, isn't it? Why in 2020 is this still happening? Mm. I guess roughly the same frequency as it did throughout human history. And and we still don't know what causes most of these. Um, uh, we don't. Well, we don't. We don't find out in individual cases. Put it that way. Mm. So you're unlikely to get a, a a definitive explanation for why your miscarriage happened. Um, most of them, we think, are due to major um, genetic errors that happened right back when the sperm and the egg first came together. Obviously, long before we can even know you're pregnant, let alone, mm. let alone do anything about it. Um, and there must be some genetic errors that are that uh, when the big zipper of, of sperm DNA and egg DNA come together, there must be some errors in that process. I often say to people, it's a miracle it ever works. Yeah, exactly. You know, how, how complicated yeah. it, is that? Um, but uh, there must be errors in that process um, that are so big that you can get a... a um, uh, uh, an embryo that's capable of going to, to six weeks but no further. Mm. And it's really important for a woman not to blame herself. We did a post in the early days of Grow My Baby on our Instagram and um, I think it said something like, you didn't cause your miscarriage by insert reason here. Yes. You know, it wasn't because you exercised too hard at the gym mm. or because your colleague had some essential oil on or because you drank too much coffee or, you know, yeah. In fact, we know for a fact that those things don't cause miscarriage. Yeah. Only because they're all really, re- really common activities. That's that, right. And if they did, we would know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there might be some healthy behaviours in early pregnancy, not smoking and so forth, but um, but we can't um, usually put down um, a first trimester miscarriage to anything in particular. What about women who have got like a um, a different shaped uterus, like a bicornate? Uterus or something like that. Sure. So they're the, that's the that's one of the exceptions. So there is there there are there is, there is a group of women who are predisposed in in some way towards a much higher chance of first trimester miscarriage. And sometimes these are the people who get recurrent first trimester miscarriage. And they um, one of the causes of that is an abnormal shape to the uterus. Mm. Um, so a small number of women have a, a uterus that's an, an, an unusual shape. And um, some of those, uh, it's difficult for the fertilised egg to implant mm. in a good spot, and uh, they, they would be 
more uh, susceptible to to pregnancy loss. Yeah, right. Um, And what about non-rare things like um, adenomyosis or endometriosis or even PCOS? Like there's a lot around infertility with some of those things, but does that cause... Miscarriage? Yeah, some some of those conditions um, might predispose women to you know a higher risk of first trimester miscarriage, um, but most of our attention for those couples is focused on on helping them get pregnant, get pregnant in, the in the first place. place yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, I must say I'm, I'm always much more you know concerned. For example. If a couple are experiencing some some miscarriages throughout their their pregnancy life, uh, I'm more concerned about those miscarriages if each one of those conceptions took two or three years yeah. to bring about. Yeah. So you step up management in those cases, maybe. Yeah, yeah, and and so this is why the care has to be has to be nuanced and 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 expert because uh, of, you know of course I'm going to perhaps throw the book more at a forty year old who's taking two years to conceive mm. than I might at a 21-year-old who's conceived quickly mm. because um, the fir- they, if they both have a first trimester miscarriage, it's much more potentially serious for, for one than the other. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And because it's true, isn't it, that most people that have a miscarriage only really have one in a row and then go on to conceive after that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, so it just um, uh, statistically, providing there's nothing else wrong, mm. um, then then uh, your chance of miscarrying, uh, you know, twice a row, twice in a row, is less than two percent, and then only about one percent of of people will then have three in a row. Yeah, right. And um, the three in a row group. I guess it's progressively less likely due to chance alone. Yes. And there may actually be an underlying problem. And that's why we tend not to throw the book at people until they've had three in a row. Yeah. Sometimes it might be twice in a row if they're a special group, Mm. subfertility, older. Mm. Um, But um, uh, the the younger couple with normal fertility who are getting pregnant quickly – um, it's the most likely explanation is a run of bad luck. Yeah. And then only if that run seems to be continuing do we think, hang on a minute, what else is going on? Yeah. And there are a, a page full of investigations that we would do for a couple that we suspected had an underlying um, medical problem predisposing to recurrent miscarriage. We might get on to recurrent because it's not the norm. So, um, But what I really wanted to ask because I just I think about it a, a lot, probably more than I should, but I often wonder what it's like for you and what happens when you tell someone that there's not a heartbeat. You're listening to The Kick with Dr. Pat and Bridget. How many times have you Googled something about your pregnancy? When I was pregnant all the time, Dr. Pat. (laughs) We get it. You may be confused or overwhelmed. It's normal to want information, but where's the reliable stuff from experts? Yeah. Now, if you like our podcast, Dr. Pat and I have developed an online program to help guide you through whatever stage of pregnancy you're at. It's taken us literally two years to put it together. Two long, hard years, wasn't it? (laughs) But, you know, it is a game changer in how pregnancy information is given. 
Now, how it works is uh, you get to sign up at whatever stage of pregnancy you're at. Like, so you could be pre-pregnant in your very early stages of pregnancy, late pregnancy, preparing for birth, or maybe you've just brought your baby home. And you get lots of information around that. And then you also get to join our closed Facebook group. We've called in all our contacts too. So we've got a dietitian, a anaesthetist, physiotherapist. Sonographer. Yeah, who else? A pediatric nurse, obstetrician, mother of four. Oh, just all the people you need to hear from. So if that's you, come and join us at www.growmybaby.com.au. Yeah, look, it's one of the more challenging um, parts of the job, um, right? Th- and it's challenging for me, and I do it all the time. Mm. And I think it's—I think it really is challenging for people um, who who aren't doing it all the time. Yeah. Like, for example, a hospital emergency department doctor, yes. yeah. yeah, who to save some time has done the scan himself mm. rather than send the patient around to the ultrasound department. Uh, a lot of emergency departments got their own scanner for various yeah. things and pop the scanner on thinking you're going to be able to say to this patient, you're right, go home, you'll be fine. Yeah. And suddenly, you know, there's a miscarriage and I think that's hard. It takes a little bit of, I think, experience and, tra- Ex- yeah. and training to deal with it well. And what are most people's reaction when you tell them? Well, obviously people are, are, are heartbroken and there's – there's tears and disappointment and um, and uh, sometimes, you know, the woman might have come by herself. So then... Mm. Oh, know, that's so common, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. so then we sort of need to bring the partner in from work and those sort of things. Yeah. Um, and um, it, it's it's very, very normal to, to be just emotionally washed away by the experience mm. at the very start. But I'm always amazed by people's resilience. Yeah. You know, and so much so, and that's, that's so common and so normal to be that resilient, to recover quickly mm. and to keep going. That mm. I actually say that to people in the, in that first visit when the miscarriage is diagnosed. Mm. I say to them, look, you can expect, to be honest, you can expect to, to recover quickly from this. Mm. And that's not to diminish the pain they're in right now. Mm. It's just that um, I think it's somewhat useful for people to know how likely, how long they're going to feel so awful. Mm. And I think that uh, sometimes I'll say to people, you know, that the experience of miscarriage will be with you forever, mm. but it won't always hurt like it does today. Yeah. And it's a real roller coaster of emotions, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. We go back to what Mai said, and she said that. Y- she just felt like the whole next 18 years of her life or, um, mm. was planned out for her. Yep. And I think it's that loss of what you expected and, and that ideal of what your life might be. Um, so, yeah. Yes, because temporarily at least yeah. you feel as if all of that's been taken away. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Because um, very quickly, peop- uh, very quickly a, a a, a couple start to feel that they just don't want any baby, they want this one. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And why why wouldn't you feel that way? Yeah. Um so the loss of the loss of this baby needs to be acknowledged and and um and respected. And I d- I've just gone to um the Cope website now. That's a fantastic resource for people. It's cope.org.au. Um and uh, they just um, talked about all the different types of emotions that you might have, mm. such as numbness, disbelief, anger, guilt, sadness, depression, anxiety, confusion, and even difficulty concentrating. Um, now, that 
That's the grief cycle, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so, then, and then, you know, surprisingly quickly, that it gives way to hope. Yes. The role of hope is enormous in all of this, isn't yeah. it? The and role of hope in parenting is enormous. <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely true. Um, so that, um, yeah, uh, so, you know, in, in, in people who are, um, emotionally and, and, um, and, uh, well coming into the pregnancy, mental health is good and so forth. There's this um, amazing well of resilience mm. that, that people, um, uh, seem to be able to, to draw upon. Mm. Um, and of course we want the people around us to be, yeah. Um, supportive as well. Yeah, that's a really good point. So we we had a little think about well, what can you t- um, what can you say to someone that's had a miscarriage? Mm. Because often, like our feet are totally in our mouth about really difficult issues like this. Like, for example, the other day I saw a, a good friend uh, for the first time after she'd had chemo. Yeah. And she had a headscarf on and, and I went, oh, my God, how are you? Yeah. And then I saw the look in her face and I thought, well, what a stupid question to ask. Yes, I I've, just, I've got cancer. <laughs> I really felt awful afterwards. Yeah. Um, so the experts say to the person with if someone's got a cancer yeah. um, that it can be more, much more useful to say how are you feeling today. Yeah, right. Because um, overall- They've got cancer, surely they're probably feeling highly troubled and, and potentially sad, depressed about that. Yeah. But um, to ask how you're feeling today seems to be a better question about, you know, um, how are you right now compared to the other days yeah. and potentially what can I do to help? Yeah. yeah. So we thought about things to say to women who have had a miscarriage and obviously, mm. you know, that's the first thing that we all say, well, you and I say, Pat, is I'm so sorry for your loss. Yeah, uh, that 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 one has actually got a high rating from the people who've been through the experience yeah. um, because it acknowledges the loss up front. Up front, that's yeah. right. Because often, too often, we say stay silent, don't we, when mm. people are in grief. Again, it's this problem with putting your foot in the mouth. But um, I think it's it's much more important to acknowledge it and to do something, even if you're if you don't. If you don't feel comfortable or feel like you will make a, things worse, um, it's sending a text. I remember yeah. when my our um, oldest boy's dad died, and we were inundated with texts. Yeah, and that were just beautiful to receive. That's it right. Really was so. I think that um, it's better to say something than nothing. Yeah, or or to text something than nothing. Um, and something like "I'm sorry for your loss." It's something that acknowledges the loss is a good place to start. And if you're a good listener, then say, would you like to talk to me about it? Yeah. You know, because don't it, it allows them healing as well, the person that's actually had the miscarriage. Um, other things during our grief that we found incredibly useful was useful, practical. People would bring us food, yeah. didn't they? Cakes, yeah. Yeah. meals. Any sort of follow-up, I think, is yeah. really good too. So you, you think if if someone you know has had a miscarriage, um, that you acknowledge the loss up front and then a, a week or however however close you are to that person, what the appropriate time frame is, you say or do something again. Yeah, yeah. and it might even be a month down the track or two mm. months down the track or whatever it is. Um, we also did a post about why don't we tell people early on that we're pregnant you know, we're worried that if we miscarry, we'll have to untell people. Mm. But our point was that 
this is the community that we live in. Like, we have to have that support from our community. How would the community support us if they didn't know we are pregnant and gone through pregnancy loss? So I don't know I, how everyone feels about that. I, I, I think um, if everyone knew that someone was going through a pregnancy loss, then, you know, we could support that person better. I think that's right. Um, so that that, that that brings me just for a moment to things that we know we probably shouldn't say. Oh, yeah. Um, so, again, the, we're not making this up. There's been some research done on, on what, the peop- what the women themselves w- wanted to hear and didn't want to hear yeah. um, at the time um, of a miscarriage. And I think the things that are probably the worst are the things that, seem to diminish or disregard the sense of loss. Yeah. So in my story, she said at the end, um, I'll always miss that baby. Yeah. So, so um, it, you know, it doesn't really matter what somebody else thinks. Yeah. That's what she's experiencing. Absolutely. Yeah. So don't say- um, It's for the best. Oh my gosh, it's for the best. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's- uh, well, It's for the best because something was wrong. Because something was wrong. That's yeah. right. And, and so, so- um, that that is not aligning at any point with what the person is actually feeling, yeah. and they might be worse than um, that. They, they might find that that completely unconso- unconsoling, but also p- potentially um, offensive. Offensive and disrespectful yeah. of the process that they're going through. Things such as at least it wasn't. It really wasn't a fully formed baby. Yeah. Oh again. God. Yeah. Again. And <laughs> or or you're young and you can try again. And yeah. the, the the theme running through these is that it diminishes. Yes. The pain, and the only thing that really will diminish the pain for that person is some time, some resilience and some recovery. Yeah. But not somebody telling them that they shouldn't be in that pain. That's right. They should just get over it because, you know, it's a natural, it's nature's way of dealing with whatever. Yeah, probably best not to mention nature's way as well. There's, uh, again, um, uh, that's that's not not, uh, acknowledging the person, the woman's pain. Mm. Now, um, we also need to acknowledge the partner uh, we had oh, yeah. somebody um, DM'd us. Thank you for all your feedback. Like, it's just so um, uh, gratifying. We are very grateful uh, that people take the time to talk to us over our Instagram DMs. It's brilliant. Um, she said, I just wanted the listeners to know that I was really angry at my husband because he looked like it didn't impact him at all. Later, he told me that he would cry in the shower so I wouldn't see because he thought he had to be strong for me. Yeah, oh. so there you go. We've just got to give everybody time and, and support and and love. That's right. Mm. We're going to go back to medical. What happens next? Somebody's come in and they've had a heartbeat, um, a missed heartbeat, or they haven't seen the heartbeat on ultrasound. What happens next? Yeah, so there's a few different ways the situation can, can be managed. Sometimes it is appropriate just to wait and observe mm. um, and... Um, and and let the the process of miscarriage be completed naturally without intervention, and occasionally that is quite appropriate. Mm. Other times we might give um, a medication, um, commonly something called misoprostol, which is a a drug that will help the uterus contract and empty, mm. um, and and that can be useful. Um, and other times we would perform an operation called a curette to go in uh, through the vagina, no cuts or stitches, but stretch the cervix open a little bit and put a suction tube inside the uterus to remove uh, what's left of the pregnancy. This is called a DNC. A DNC it? or a curette, yeah. 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 And, and there's times when that's appropriate as well. And 
working out which one of those is the appropriate advice to give people, you've got to, we've got to weigh up a number of factors. Mm. Okay. What the woman wants, what the, what the clinical situation calls for. Mm. Uh, and for, you know, just for example, if someone's having a huge amount of bleeding that's really threatening their, their health, then to recommend further, further observation might be quite inappropriate. Mm. That, that maybe that woman needs a, a curate within a few hours. So if the bleeding won't stop, um, uh, there might be, um, there might be, there might be another situation where we actually need to collect the material from the miscarriage mm. um, to send to pathology to see if there's some sort of uh, genetic uh, recurrent genetic problem. So we might need to do a curette to actually collect the the right material. Mm. Um, it's so hard talking about. I don't know what the most compassionate term. I know that's medical to say material, but is yeah. there a more compassionate way to say that? Uh, the, yeah, in medical we talk about products of conception, and I think that's yeah. not that much nicer. Yeah. Um, but um, so sometimes, you know, sometimes there's 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 a, a sound medical reasoning behind the advice. Mm. Um, sometimes it's very appropriate to wait and see if the uterus is empty on ultrasound. Then it mm. might just be quite appropriate to, um, to to let that bleeding run its course over the next couple of days. Mm. Um, and um, and obviously the, the the patient's wishes come into it as well. Some people are very keen to start trying again immediately. Yeah, and Part of that is for the uterus to get empty as quickly as possible. Yeah. So that might come into the decision as well. And is there any, like, is part of it also when you had that loss, like whether it was a six-week loss or a 12-week loss? Yeah, absolutely. It, it can really depend on, what's, on, on what, what can be seen in the uterus on ultrasound. Mm. Um, and if there's a large amount of material, I always think that that's potentially less likely to clear by itself. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And what about, you know, we know it from the private system and we're sort of talking about it from the private system, but what happens if someone's public? And to everybody overseas, I'm sorry, I'm talking about the private and public um, system within Australia. Sure. I think that, you know, it, it, the, the options given shouldn't be different. Mm. Um, and um, I just think that... Um, Potentially, the situation might, might be managed through family doctor, especially if it's a very early miscarriage with an empty uterus on ultrasound. Yeah. Then, then referral to a specialist or a or a hospital emergency department might be not enti- entirely not needed. Mm. Yep. Um, versus a more complex situation, which might be you know, managed through a hospital, either public or private. Yeah. Um, and. For someone who has miscarried um, and and then has either um, let the process happen naturally or has gone in and had a DNC, mm-hmm. what what happens now? What's her recovery? Yeah, so there's the, the the physical recovery tends to be quite fast when the uterus is empty, most of the cramping pain goes away, mm. um, and the the pelvic pain will settle in a matter of hours or days, uh, and and the bleeding stops. Mm. Um, Emotionally, it's a more complicated um, um, thing than that. Mm. As we touched on before, that that sort of experience of, you know, I, I say to people, look, you know, if someone, you know, your if your granddaughter has a miscarriage one day, you'll say to her, yes, I had miscarriage too. Yeah. Um, but it's not like it'll still be hurting. Yeah. When you're a little old lady, so I think there's a, you know. Um, uh, the emotional recovery is highly variable um, and, and depends on a lot of things. But as I said before, most people, um, their resilience is such that they recover quickly. Mm. 
And it is pretty normal, again, going back to that grief cycle, if to feel sort of um, that you've got a less of, loss of appetite or you're feeling exhausted or drained or, mm. um, you know, you might just need to have more time at home, sort of just having close, a sick day from work. It's yeah, really close fine. Close to supports, yeah. All week, yeah. Yep. And so, so, so that will vary for for some people, and then and then rarely there's a group that don't recover emotionally yeah. quickly, um, and and for those women we've got to bring in some bigger supports. So yeah, clinical psychologist um, trained in in pregnancy loss, mm. um, you know, once a year or something, a psychiatrist. Mm. Yeah, um, if you know if people. Are experiencing a clinical depression triggered to or contributed to by a, by pregnancy loss. Yeah, and if that person is keen to get pregnant again, what 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 is the time frame? How long should they wait? Yeah, so from when the uterus is is empty naturally or through curette, then you would expect the period to come back between four and six weeks ish. Mm-hmm. Um, and people need obviously couples need to remember that ovulation comes before menstruation, so you you might get pregnant again. Within the first cycle, yeah, like my did, yeah, yeah, like yeah, well, there you go, yeah. yeah. So, so the um the the relevance of that, of course, is that if your period hasn't come back by eight weeks, first thing you want to do is a pregnancy test, make, yes. sure, make sure you're not already pregnant. Um, but um, uh, but um, yeah, you would experience, you would expect that that period to come back between four and six weeks, and then the assuming you're not already pregnant, then that first day is the new day one. Mm. So we concentrate on conceiving again, if that's what you want. So um, a regular mid-cycle intercourse, back on the folate, mm. um, and uh, and working towards a new conception. And in your experience, how how long do most people sort of wait before they start trying? Yeah, it varies. It varies a bit, um, but um, a, a couple. Um, where the pregnancy was um, was much wanted, and they and they want to be pregnant again as soon as possible, and they're feeling up to it. And people will commonly be trying again in the next cycle. Yeah. Um, but um, I'm sure it's also common for people to say, "Look, we'll we'll give it three months, and then you know go again." Then yeah, yeah. Okay. So we might need to talk about um, recurrent miscarriage now. You mentioned before that it's two percent. If you've had one miscarriage. Then the chances of that being followed by two more are about one percent. Right. Yeah. So it's really quite small for recurrent miscarriage. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what what is the problem with recurrent miscarriages? Is that back to the abnormalities um, that you were talking about before? Yes. Yeah, so um, so there are some um, couples uh, where there's a um, uh, a genetic difference in. Um, Either the man or the woman. Mm-hmm. That means that they're going to continually um, uh, create embryos with a genetic problem. Yeah, and um, this is rare, but a real thing, and it's one of the reasons why one of the investigations for a current mis- miscarriage is what's called a karyotype for for both the couple yep. to make sure that neither are are, are carriers of a genetic variation that's going to make this happen time and time again. Yeah, right. Uh, and then uh, sometimes things like pelvic ultrasound to look at the shape of the uterus. Yep. And then occasionally we do all that and don't find anything. Yeah. And there's a role um, for some people with unexplained recurrent miscarriage for uh, to be on some medications at the time of conceiving. Uh, what are we talking there? Uh, aspirin helps a bit. Yep. Um, there are some people with some unusual blood clotting disorders where 
proper anticoagulation is needed. Yeah. Um, and um, it's even been shown uh, that um, that there's a that there's an effect in some people with with unexplained um, recurrent uh, miscarriage uh, for just more surveillance. Right. Once you're pregnant. Um, which is a, an odd thing. You wouldn't think it would make any difference, yeah. but it does seem to be a little bit of a difference if we do uh, repeated first trimester ultrasounds with um, uh, a lot of TLC. Yeah, uh, that that may actually help affect outcomes. Yeah. Wow. God, mm. that is um, the mind. P- uh, yeah. Potentially. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Mm. All right. Um, so I think. Really, that highlights that the DIY stage is over. Yes, the DIY stage is over by then. Absolutely. Yes, if yep. you've got um, two miscarriages in a row, that that's really you do need um, proper surveillance from a gynaecologist. Well, I think um, if if you um, if you've had three in a row proven, yes, you know three in a row have already happened. Yeah. Then then absolutely that we're getting up into specialist management territory, um, and then um, even a couple. Perhaps if the woman was approaching forty, who'd yes. had two in a row, I'd be I'd be watching that couple closely as well. As well, yeah. Um, and there is a role um, uh, for um, it's, it's uncommon, mm. but there is a role for some couples to use IVF technology to to get around some of these problems. Yeah, and that is you have an IVF cycle, make a number of embryos, and the ones that you reimplant reimplant are the ones that seem to have the best. The best um, uh, uh, strength and quality, yeah. um, so that um, uh, you you maximise the chance of picking a good one. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I just want to clarify about um, the one in five number, or one in four. Some places say one in four mm-hmm. yeah. um, pregnancies end in loss. However. That can be the one person, can't it? So you could have a miscarriage, but then a pregnancy, then a miscarriage, then a pregnancy, but that's not a recurrent miscarriage. Um, that's a good point. Yeah. So, um, so we're probably least worried about the couples who've already got babies. Yeah. Because we know they can do it. And on f- just first meeting that couple, they're less likely to have a major, major problem yeah. because they've, they've done it before. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're mostly talking about a couple with no life, no life babies and multiple consecutive miscarriages. Miscarriages. Mm. Okay. Good. So we, um, are lucky in a way that we have got some fabulous resources for women that have had miscarriage. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would really recommend that you go to these resources rather than, you know, search on Instagram. And the Mm. forums. Sorry. Um, So one that I uh, love is the Pink Elephant Organisation. I've already mentioned COPE with it um, and another. Beyond Blue have got some really good um, resources as well. Yep. And I'll put all of those into our show notes so you can go there to get the links if you can't find them otherwise. Um, And we'll also keep up the SpeakPipe dot uh, com slash grow my baby site because I reckon it would be really interesting to have a podcast which is like the voices of miscarriage because we've got lots of birth stories out there. Yeah. Um, we don't tend to have too many about miscarriage. Um, so if you feel like you want to add your voice, just go to that. I'll have that also in the links in the show notes. Excellent. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. We really hope that this has been useful. Hop over to our Instagram, which is at grow underscore my underscore baby and join in on the conversation there um and if you are loving our podcast and we hear it all the time that people love our podcasts 
Could you please do us a favour and go in and uh, give us a five-star rating? And even if you have time, give us a little review because we love reading them. We'd love that. Bye for now. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.